0: Thanks, Daniel. Yeah. My name is Ron Cool. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside, and again, it's a joy to welcome all of you here this morning. Uh, we started uh, a while ago, it's been a couple of months now, but studying Paul's letter to the Galatians, and we're up to uh, chapter 4, we're into verse 8 of chapter 4, but one of the things we've said, and it's important for us, again, to set the stage, to, is to recognize that this, this is not a letter that Paul writes just to say, how you doing? It's not a letter that he writes to say, hey, here's some basic truth kind of things. No, Paul writes this letter, and he's angry. Okay, Paul is really frustrated about what has happened when he writes this letter. So let's just kind of make sure we understand that again, we see that. Here's Paul, he was a Christian living in Antioch, and they sent him on a missionary journey, and he went up here to Galatia, and he met some Galatians there. That's who you meet in Galatia, Galatians. And he told them the gospel, he said, Jesus Christ saves, all right. He said, This is the good news that Jesus sets us free, that Jesus is new life. And he said, Put your faith in him. And the, the Galatians they responded and they became Christians, and and it was wonderful and it was great. And, and, and the Holy Spirit came on them. And then Paul went back to Antioch. And that's when the problem started, okay? You've seen this before if you've been with us, but that's when the problem started, because there was another group of Christians down here in Jerusalem call them the final step Christians, but they had kind of felt like, you know, Paul is good, that Jesus saves us, they're right, they believed in Jesus, but they also felt like that they as Jewish people knew what God wanted, of how we were supposed to live. They knew the rules, they knew the laws, they knew what they're supposed to do, so they went up to the Galatian Christians and they said, yeah, the gospel is that you need in faith in Jesus, but There are some things Paul didn't tell you about. You need faith in Jesus plus some of these rules. You need to be circumcised, and you need to to not go out to eat on Sunday. You need to not eat bacon. And basically they were saying, you need to become more like us. The Galatian Christians said, okay, I guess that's what we're supposed to do. So they started to obey him. The, The final step, Christians went back, and that's where Paul got really angry. He said, you know, what they did is wrong. What they're teaching you is wrong. And so he writes this letter. And last week, we looked at a section of the letter where Paul, in order to try to straighten out their thinking, he says the Galatian Christians, you know, you got messed up by the final step Christians. So in order to straighten out your thinking, we we talked about this last week in Galatians 3. Paul wants to remind them of, of what happened when they became Christians. And this is true for all of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians 3, 26 to 4, 7, the passage we looked at last week, Paul says, you know what, you were slaves, you were slaves to sin, you were slaves to selfishness, you were slaves to the powers of this world, you were slaves to trying to get God to love you on your own, you were slaves to all that, but because of the grace of Jesus Christ, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are now free and you've become sons and daughters of the King of Kings. And, and so we pictured it this way last week. All right, we talked about Graceland there on the left, and that's where Jesus is because, well, the king lives in Graceland, right? All right, I, I missed that one last week. All right, so Graceland is there. But every other one of us, apart from Christ, we are all in slave land. We are all slaves, Jews, Gentiles, every one of us apart from Christ, we are slaves. And in slave land, we toil and we work and we say our lives depend on us. I'm doing it my way. I'm gonna take care of everything. I am, and it never works. And we divide along rich versus poor and poor versus rich, and black versus white, and white versus black, and men versus women, and women versus men. We have all these dividing things. But along comes Jesus Christ, and he brings this new life. He brought it first to the Jewish people. We said the Jewish people were there in the in the in the lower left section of slave land. God chose to work through them and he gave them something that, on the one hand, was a gift. He gave them the law, and it showed them what they were supposed to do, but it also, we've seen, becomes a prison because none of them could do it. None of them could do it, and so it became a prison, but Jesus Christ came and he did it, and he broke the power of that, and he invited people, first Jewish people to come and live in Graceland, then he invited Paul, and we talked about how Paul. God, uh, Jesus said to Paul, look... <laughs> My salvation is not for just, just for the Jews. It's for everybody because I tore down that wall as well. So go, go tell them. And, and, and Paul went, and he shared the good news. Come to Graceland, everybody. He's up in Galatia. Come to Graceland because Jesus Christ will save you. Put your faith in him. And, and many people did. Not all of them, of course, but many did. They, they clothed themselves with Christ. So that's what Paul talked about last time. That's what we talked about, that we are sons and daughters of the king. We are no longer slaves, but we are sons and daughters of the king. This is where we come to this week. This is where we are in the story now, as Paul is telling it as he gets to chapter 4, verse 8. What happens is, okay, we're all here, and we're fine. And uh, Paul, uh, he says, after I left... You, you started to go back to slave land. So Paul here, he, he leaves, and, and the strange thing is Paul says, I, I brought you into Graceland, I brought you into freedom, and now all of a sudden you're all going back. You're going back into the rules, and it's not just one of you, and it's not just two of you, but it's a whole bunch of you. And 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 Paul is just confused, and frustrated, and upset. These people, they've been set free from all the rules and regulations. They learned that they were saved by God's grace. They had said goodbye to all of that of saying, it's all up to me, and it's my way. And they've learned to live in grace land, and now they're going back into slave land. And Paul is just frustrated and, and perplexed. That's what he talks about in, in Galatians 4, starting at, at verse, uh, it's actually verse 8 here. Um, Formerly, he says, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. You were in, in slavery, he says, but then now, this is verse 9, now that you know God, or rather are known by God, God always comes to us first. He says, I don't get it. You've experienced freedom. You've experienced grace. You've experienced God's amazing love. How is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces, the, the laws, trying to say, oh, I've, I've got to be good enough. It's, it's what I do. It's not eating bacon. It's not doing this. It's not doing that. How, how is it that you're doing that? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Verses 10 and 11. You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. This time it's with the Jewish law. They went kind of into a separate prison, if you notice that. They went into the Jewish section of the prison. And he says, I fear for you. But somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. And at the end of this section we're going to look at this morning, he says, How I wish I could be with you now and changed my tone because I am perplexed about you. Paul says, how are you doing this? What in the world were you thinking that you chose to not believe in grace anymore? That you chose to say, no, it's about being good, and it's about being nice, and it's about being kind. And, And we in the church fall into that all the time. We keep going back to the rules. We keep saying, yeah, it's Jesus, but you've got to do what we do. You've got to become like us. The Galatians were going back to slave land. And what Paul wants to talk about in the section we're looking at this morning is a major reason why. It, it, it's the number wasn't one reason why. And it's really important for us in our day. The biggest reason was those bad Christian leaders. The biggest reason was those bad Christian leaders. You see, after Paul left, what happened is that these, that's when the final step Christians came. And, and they, they, this is what they said. Paul was wrong. He was right about Jesus... But he was wrong about the other stuff. You can't come into Graceland the way he said you could. Okay, That wall is still there. Paul was wrong. You have to come through the Jewish gate. It's the only way to get saved. You have to come through the Dutch gate. You have to come through the whatever gate it is. And We put up these gates and say, you've got to come like us. You need Jesus plus the Jewish law. And when you learn to obey, you'll be ready to come to Graceland. So now get over there and learn the Jewish law. Get over there. And, 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 and these people came and they put them... In prison, and then they left. Okay. Paul is so angry about that. He's so angry at these, these Christian leaders. They brought a wrong message, but they said Jesus plus, but it wasn't just a wrong message, and this is really what I want to think about with you. It was also their method. It was also their method. And I think Paul is really angry at the the, the Jewish, the first step, final step, Christians. But he's also really frustrated with the Galatians. And the reason he's frustrated with the Galatians is is that they they couldn't tell the difference. (laughs) Paul says, you didn't see the difference in the way I came to you and the way they came to you. You didn't see the difference in our methods. You didn't feel like they were being slave owners and masters and controlling and manipulative. And so Paul is so frustrated that they did this. And he's also frustrated that the church fell for it. And so what he wants to talk about is, is, is what does it mean to be a good Christian leader? Where do these bad Christian leaders come from? And, and, and let me just say, I, I, this is a really important thing for us to talk about because the church in the United States is really struggling with leadership. I mean, time and time again, let's be honest about it, in the last ten years, last five years, the last three years, there are a lot of churches with pastors, pastors that have had to step down, with pastors that have been accused of being bullies and manipulative, with pastors who have not led in grace and gentleness and humility and love. And so we need to think about it. Paul, as I read through these verses, I, I gathered it together. You could do it in different ways. I think that, that I want to give you five characteristics of good Christian leaders. And, and, and I think, again, it is, these are really challenging for us. And, and, and it applies to pastors to teachers, to elders, to deacons, shepherd leaders, and service leaders. But it applies to all of us who lead. And if you say, well, Ron, I don't lead. Maybe you do at work. But if you have a kid, you're a Christian leader. <laughs> if you are a parent, you are a Christian leader. And the question is, are you going to be a good Christian leader or are you going to be a bad Christian leader? Are you going to lead the way Jesus wants us to lead, the way we bring people to Graceland and don't put them back in Slave Land? So five characteristics of good Christian leaders. And yeah, call me on the carpet on any of these. If, I, if you see me failing in this, call me on that. First one. First two are, are fairly easy and obvious. This third one, we start to get a little more challenging. But good Christian leaders, good Christian leaders start with where people are. Paul went to Galatia. Paul spent time in Galatia, Paul got to know them. Paul listened to them. And good Christian leaders, good Christian parents, good Christian ministry people spend time first of all listening. You don't come in with a cookie cutter and say, "Here's what you need." That's what bad Christian leaders do. No, good Christian leaders they enter into their world. You, You got a neighbor you want to come to Christ. You want to minister to your neighbor. Start by shutting up and listening. Start by hearing the story. Find out their hopes. Find out their dreams. Find out their fears. Spend some time just being with them. Galatians 4.12, Paul says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, because I came, became like you. I, I became like you. He can dare to say, I want you to live in Graceland, because I became like you. I know you. I entered into your world. Bad leaders give the answers before they know the questions. And, and, and this is, raises some really interesting questions about pastors. It raises questions about pastors and church size. It raises pastors' questions about pastors. I mean, I mean, one of the things that, we, that I've tried to reflect on some this week is, I can't, I can't minister to you if I don't know you. If I don't know some of your story, I, and again, I, we share stories, and it's not. But really, I mean, Paul. Paul says, I I just immersed myself in getting to know us. So what about you? If you're a teacher, if you're a leader, if you're a parent, how are you doing with that one? Do you recognize the uniqueness of each child? Or do you say, no, this is what I want you to be, and you will fit into this mold? Do you recognize the uniqueness of each neighbor? Do you know what scares them? Good Christian leaders start with where people are. Second, <clears throat> this is probably the most obvious one. Good Christian leaders live out their faith. Okay. There's an authenticity because good Christian leaders know something. We all know our actions speak so much louder than our words. <clears throat> it's our actions that people are going to learn from. Paul says this again in 12. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me. Now, he wasn't saying, I want you to look like me. I want you to follow. He's saying, become somebody who lives in Graceland. Become someone saved by grace. Become someone who knows. But Paul, Paul had lived it out with them. Paul had lived the gospel. He had lived, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but he had lived in weakness, but God's strength, and so on. And, and, and so our actions speak louder than our words. Again, bad Christian leaders don't live out what they're teaching. We've all seen that. The power of hypocrisy is so damning for the church. It is so hurtful for the church when leaders, and again, I'm especially pastors, not to say we're perfect, not to say we have to be perfect. We're not. Again, we'll talk about weakness in a moment. But if we're claiming that we do one thing and living something else, that's where legalists always run into problems, <laughs> right? I mean, a legalist who says, oh, these are the rules. I can guarantee you that anybody who comes to you and says, a good Christian does X, Y, Z, they're not doing X, Y, Z. They might be when you are watching them, but they're not doing it because none of us do. And the gospel is not about doing X, Y, Z. It's about Graceland and what Jesus Christ has done. So how about that? Are you living your faith out? Again, for parents, it's obvious. Your kids will not learn what you say. They will learn what you do. Your actions speak so loud, they will not hear your words. Again, you don't have to be perfect, but are you somebody who lives in God's grace? Are you someone who lives in humility, in gentleness? Good Christian leaders live their faith out. So start with where people are. Live our faith out. The third one, and this is, I think, where we really kind of confront our culture and where we really need to be challenged in some big ways. And all of us need to go over this again and again. Third, good Christian leaders work from personal weakness, not strength. Good Christian leaders, ministers, teachers, parents work from weakness, not strength. That flies in the face of our culture. That flies in the face of our intuition. Because for most of us, when we think if we're going to lead, what we want to do is we want to, you know, what our culture says is, is we lead from strength. Be successful like me. Right? When, when Tony Robbins comes into a city, he's a leadership guru guy. People pay thousand dollars to listen to him for eight hours. When he comes in, you know what? He gets on that stage, he is going to be wearing a very expensive suit with a very expensive watch. He will probably have arrived in a limo, or even better, in his own personal helicopter, so he can get up there and say, don't you want to be like me? Don't you want to be more like me? Let me tell you how I did it. And sometimes we in the church fall into that pattern. As pastors, we're tempted to say, look at my life, right? I, I, I mean look at pastors of really large churches and find me an ugly one? Eric Warren is kind of so-so. That's why I like him. No, we want our pastors to be good-looking and slender and have a perfect marriage and have a perfect life and have everything together so that we can go, that's what I want to be like. I want to have guns like my pastor has. I want to have all this stuff I just thank God I'm not cursed with good looks. You know, I, I could be better than this, but then you'd get distracted, right? I mean, it's clear. I, I was thinking, I mean, get out our staff director. You can obviously, we do not hire based on. No, I'm kidding, okay? Uh, sorry, Don, you're beautiful. Um, but that's what our culture does. It says, you know, the, that's a, it works, right? And what we do is we say, "Well, it works in the world; therefore, let's bring it into the church." This is how you gather a crowd. You do this stuff, and you you look fantastic, and everybody looks successful. And they're like, I want to be like them, friends. That is almost the antichrist ministry. Okay, when we do that, it's almost. And I want to be real careful. I don't know individual churches. I'm not, but I just know we got to be aware of it because I think good Christians leaders are honest about failures. And honest about struggles, we don't celebrate them, but we're honest about saying, look, the gospel is not about how great I am. The gospel is that I am broken, but that God has strength. See, I work out of my personal weakness because the story is not that I want you to become like me in the sense that I know how to live your life. I can't fix any of you. I can't straighten out any of your lives. My life is getting fixed daily by Jesus Christ. And that's ministry. It's pointing you to him. It's pointing your kids to him. It's pointing your neighbor. And and the message is is not that you can be more successful. The message is God loves you when you're broken. Do Do you see how we turn this upside down? Paul says this. I mean, when Paul got to Galatia, this is fascinating. Galatians 3 or 4, 13, 14. That first line is the end of 12. I think it should be in verse 13. He says, look, when I came to you, you did me no wrong. As you know... It was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. I came in weakness. We don't know what it was, if Paul had malaria, some people suggest, pneumonia. But it it had to be something that kind of was embarrassing or whatever. I mean, maybe Paul's throwing up all over. But Paul says, you know what, I came in weakness, and, and you treated me with love. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. And I think part of that is what Paul's message was not, hey, I've got it all together, join me. His message was, I'm a busted person. I am weak, but God is strong. That's the heart of the message. Paul says, even where I am right now, even in my broken state, I know this, God is good. God is faithful. And he said, And We want that, God. We're tired of trying to be successful. And and Paul says, you treated me like I was amazing. You you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Now, when Paul writes this, the the Galatians have changed their tune about him. The Galatians are now kind of talking about Paul as if he were a loser, as if he were weak. And I think part of it, I don't know, but I think, I mean, you'll see where, where I say that from what Paul says next to them. But I think part of it, when those final step Christians came, you know, I think part of their message was, you know what? Paul was wrong about weakness. I mean, look at us. We're winners. We're successful. God blesses us because we obey him. And you can be blessed too. By the way, did you notice the chariot we pulled up in? I mean, seriously, wouldn't you rather be like us than Paul? You really want to be like him. And so Paul says, you know, when I was first there, you welcomed me as if I was an angel. Or even as Jesus Christ himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? And I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? By telling you that the, the way to life is dying. The way to be great is to serve. That it's about weakness, not strength. It's our weakness that displays God's strength. Good church leaders work out of personal weakness, not strength. Again, it's not to say we celebrate that and say, look at what a horrible person I am. (laughs) No. But but the message is, the message of a a Christian minister, pastor, teacher, parent, any of us, the message is, God is great. I am not. Somebody sent me a a blog this week. They said it was in love that they thought I I had it right. But it, it was a blog of somebody reflecting on some of the church challenges that have been going on. I mean, specifically, it was the Willow Creek, if you're aware of that situation, with Bill Hybels stepping down and accusations of, of, of abuse and of power. And I don't know whether they're true or not. He claims they're not. Seems a lot of, anyway. This person wrote about that, and he said, you know, some of it, some of it is the pressure of always being successful and then he quoted Rob Peterson. Some of you may know Rob. He's actually a pastor at Thornapple uh, Evangelical Covenant Church in Cascade. He said, wrote, quoted Peterson from like 10 years ago. And I thought this was really powerful. And, and it's subtle but huge. And I think it captures this difference. Peterson says, and he's talking to ministers, but it really works for all of us. We don't have a ministry. None of us do. Hold on. That's what I do in my life. I minister, right? No, Ron does not have a ministry. I, again, I don't know any, I, I don't think I know anybody who does this, but I always get nervous when, when there are roncoolministries.org. I think Peterson is better. He says, you know what? You don't have a ministry. None of us do. You know what we do? We only reveal. We only reveal the one and only ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus has a ministry. Jesus changes people. Jesus brings new life. Jesus forgives our sin. And what we do is we reveal that. We reveal that the one and only ministry of Jesus Christ by being ministers of the gospel. And do you see the difference? That's why we say we work out of weakness because my message is not that I can fix you. I can't. But my message is that Jesus Christ is fixing me and there's nothing better than that and so you need to see him you need to see him the great challenge is to know the very subtle difference Rob goes on to say between performing our calling in the name of Jesus or being tempted to offer a performance in our own name Good Christian leaders work out of weakness not personal strength how about us Your neighbors know that you don't have it all together. They know that. Do they know that you know that? Do your kids know that. Again, they know it. Do they know that you know it? And I'm not saying you go to your kids and say, Oh, let me tell you about this time I had this affair. Let me tell you about this time. I had. No. But do you live with that humility that recognizes? It's all about God. Okay. Fourth one kind of flows out of this. It's, it's related to it. All right. Good Christian leaders aren't motivated by their own needs. It's not a need to, to, to be loved. I, I, it's not about me. Okay. The, the final step Christians were motivated, Paul says, by their need to be loved. Galatians 4.17. Those people are zealous to win you over. They want you to be disciples, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us. They want to break our relationship so that you have, may have zeal for them. Not for Christ, <laughs> so that you may have zeal for them. They want you to love them. They want to, that's what they need. They need to feel loved, and it's so tempting to do that as a pastor. Now, I like it when you like me, and I like it when you love me. But if my goal is to get you to love me, we've all lost. If my purpose is to say, I want you to feel like I'm important, then I've made it about me. And what happens, Paul says, this can lead to people performing more for their leaders than for God, and only when their leaders are present. That's why he goes on in verse 18. He says, 17, they want you to have zeal for them. He says, it's fine to be zealous. God wants you to have passion and zeal, provided the purpose is good, (laughs) to show your love for God, to be so always, not just when I'm with you. You see, when we... When we are worried about... When the leader says, you know, you got to make sure you don't reflect poorly on me. I want to make sure you love me. Then it's like, okay, I only have to perform when the cameras are on. As parents, we sometimes do that. Our kids pick it up. If we're more concerned about people thinking highly of us than about our, what's happening in our kids' lives, our kids pick it up. And they know that what really motivates us is us. Because at the end of the day... And then they might, they might perform when it's going to reflect, but then they're not. When we're not there, Paul says, then they won't. I'm really glad we do the live stream stuff. I think it's very helpful. I will tell you now, I I can't, I I, I don't control all these things, but I have really serious questions about if we would have cameras. We've had some people say, it's nice to see people in the church. Here's the problem. I change when I'm on a camera if I'm worshiping. Because now I'm worried about what everybody else is thinking. I don't care who's watching me preach. But, but we so easily fall into that performance. And then guess what? We all learn to be good when the camera's on us. And then we sleep when it's not. That's, that's what happens again when we become legalists, when we put out, it all on us. Good leaders aren't, aren't motivated by their own lead, needs. Good Christian leaders don't care if they're loved and adored by people. said I like it when you like me I'm thankful for the love you show me but if my purpose is to get that love for me we've all lost fourth one good Christian leaders aren't motivated by their own needs and then finally fifth good Christian leaders want those they're leading to look like Jesus not themselves again we can do this fairly quickly the final step Christians were trying to make the Galatians look like them they were trying to say look just look like us obey our rules look like you, you become like us Paul wants Christ to be formed in them, whatever that may look like. Whatever that may look like. My dear children, verse 19, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul says, I want more than anything else for Christ to be formed in you. No matter what that looks like. In fact, I don't know what it's going to look like for some of you to have Christ completely formed in you. It's going to look different than Christ completely formed in me because you're different than me. And for our kids, it's good. And so our passion must be not to have our kids look like us, but to have our kids look like Christ is formed in them. It's to have you. My goal, my passion is to have Christ formed in you and let you become what Christ wants you to become. And, and, and that's why I, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like for you. That's okay. You don't know what it's going to look like for you. But again, a good Christian leader, that's what we want. How are you doing with that? Do you want your neighbor to look more like you, or do you want more to look like Jesus? Are we working on that? So good Christian leaders, we've got to wrap this up here. Here's the contrast. We'll just kind of go through them real quick. Again, good Christian leaders start with where people are. Bad Christian leaders start with themselves. Good Christian leaders are authentic. Bad Christian leaders are hypocrites. Good Christian leaders work from weakness and bring the gospel message. Bad Christian leaders work from strength. Good Christian leaders are not leading out of their own needs. To be loved, bad Christian leaders are leading out of their own needs. Good Christian leaders want others to look like Jesus. Bad Christian leaders want others to look like themselves. You wrap all this up, and it really is two words that that make the difference. Good Christian leaders, one word, servant. It's not about me. It's not about me it's not about my name it's not about my reputation it's about Jesus and it's about you and it's about me helping you see Jesus and me revealing what Jesus has done in my life so you can experience it in your life for bad Christian leaders it's about being masters Paul says don't you see the difference I came as a servant and they came as masters and a servant comes to set people free and a master comes to make people slaves Our people like to be told what to do, and so churches can grow when we have masters who tell everybody what to do today. It's not the job of a pastor. It's to be a servant. There's one way we can do that as parents, as pastors. The number one reason Paul could be a servant leader is because he, knew he was saved by grace. This is why the method and the message are tied together. Okay? See, if we believe we're saved by what we do, then i got to make sure you love me. If we believe I'm saved by my actions, then i got to make sure that I get a lot of credit, that you're proof of how good I am. But if I believe I'm saved by grace, Paul didn't need to be to prove himself. He didn't have to get notches on his belt. He didn't need to be perfect. He didn't need to control anyone. Because he was loved by Christ. See, if I'm loved by Christ, and if I'm deeply aware of that, then I can be your servant. He's going to take care of my ego. He's going to take care of me. Now I can just say, what can I do for you? How can I point you to Jesus? In Christ, we are set free, and we are set free to lead by serving. Let's pray together. Father, these are some challenging words for us some of us were thinking i'm not ready to do that remind us what qualifies us to be used by you is the very fact that we're not qualified that we are broken people who have experienced grace land who have experienced your amazing love help us not to point others to ourselves but to reveal your love in this church this community, and in our families. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We respond by praising God. Let's stand and sing.